Hey, it's me, Maurice. Before we get into this week's show, I just want to let you know that we're coming up on Revision Path's ninth anniversary. And to help celebrate that, we're going to do a mailbag episode for our January 31st show. So we'd love to hear from you. So send me your questions to mail at revisionpath.com. And I'll try to answer as many of them as I can. I'll also put a link in the show notes to the contact page on our website too, just in case you want to send your questions that way. Or you can even send us your question on Twitter or Instagram. Can't wait to hear from you. Now on with the show. Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Work & Co. is looking for several different positions. A designer, a lead designer, a product manager, a senior product manager, and a product management lead. Now, all these positions are located in Brooklyn, New York. The product manager, senior product manager, and product management lead positions are also looking for candidates for their Los Angeles and Portland offices. GBH is looking for a motion designer slash editor in Boston, Massachusetts. Design Action Collective is looking for a production designer. This is a remote position. And Minnesota State University Mankato is looking for an assistant professor in graphic design in Mankato, Minnesota. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Great thing to get right now here at the top of the year. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview. I'm welcoming Harrison Wheeler back on the podcast. You might remember him from episode 140, like five or so years ago. It's been a while. Uh, Harrison now is a senior design manager at LinkedIn and the creator and host of the podcast, Technically Speaking. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, Maurice. My name is Harrison Wheeler. I am a senior product design manager at LinkedIn, and I've, I'm going on four and a half, five years. Time flies. 
Yeah, welcome back to the show, man. It's good to have you back. I know that. Yeah, we were just kind of chopping up beforehand. It's been what almost four or five years since I. No, it's been longer than that. What I'm talking about. I've been at LinkedIn for, like I said, almost five years. So it's almost been like seven years. Yeah, you were at base when we last talked, which is now part of of Zendesk, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, that was yeah. it's been a while. So we definitely got a lot to catch up on in terms of your career and everything. Yeah, you know it's funny. I'm I'm trying to think. I think I might have been in Chicago or had just moved to California back when that was recorded. So. You had just moved to California. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> How has uh, 2021 been for you? Like, what did you learn about yourself over this past year? You know, look, if 2020 was rough, right? So I think I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I will say that 2021 definitely felt sort of like a bit of emergence out of that. You know, I think in terms, just kind of looking back, I mean, a few things, right? And so I think really being unapologetic in terms of just like turning things off and making time for myself. I think making time in the space for yourself is, you know, super important for that. I think additionally, we all know this, but, you know, your voice matters, right? And I think probably it's a bit of of a reflection in terms of like where I've grown and the position and the role that I have within my organization, within the design community. It's important to kind of have that voice and then also give back. Perspective is very important. And I will say many things have also accelerated within the last couple of years, right? And so when you think about how a lot of the workforce is now like telecommuting, what sort of constraints does that create? Are we creating opportunities for people to get in? Are we also conscious of some of the effects of what, you know, of the work that we do? And so how can we sort of bring more consciousness to the work that we're doing, to the decisions that we're making on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think really, you know, also with this past year, because, and I want to say this is, you know, kind of partially because of the the vaccine in a way, it's really kind of thrown workplaces in general into a bit of a kind of a, a learning moment in a way, because yeah. of course, in 2020, when we didn't have the vaccine, you know, everything was like, yeah, we're going to move to remote work. We're going to do this. And then the vaccine comes and then officers are like, well, I guess maybe we can start going back. <laughs> and then yeah. the variants come through and they're like, well, maybe you should stay at home. Like there's been this sort of like weird push pull. Of course, there's been the the creation of these kind of like hybrid schedules. But I still yeah. think companies are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Yep. And they're not doing well at that. But I think that's yeah. to be expected because this is so unprecedented. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, I've had a few thoughts on that, right? Like I've had an opportunity to kind of at least exercise what the hybrid concept is like. And, you know, just kind of reflecting again over the past couple of years, I think we've seen a lot of evolution, at least from a design perspective, the tools that we use, right? Like you have the online multiplayer, you've got tools like Loom where you can do asynchronous sort of video recordings. Obviously, Slack is a, is a big part of it having soundboards or sound rooms as a way of communicating without necessarily needing to be on camera. I think the list really kind of goes on in terms of how remote work has been optimized. But the moment that you step into an office, it is a relic of like where we left off. And Mm -hmm. so there's a gap there. And so one of the things that actually I've been kind of thinking about is like, how does this play a role 
in the design rituals that we have, right? Not necessarily from a remote perspective, but when we have folks in an office and then we have folks on camera, right? Because, you know, there's some really interesting kind of nuances, right? Like we've all had pretty good high fidelity cameras at home, but the moment you're in an office, you now see someone in sort of like three dimension. So <laughs> maybe their voice sounds different. Maybe the audio's a little bit distorted. Folks might not see what's going on in the chat. Folks might be having side conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these things aren't new per se, but like now we've got a more equitable sort of type of situation that we need to be considerate of. And so how can we build in process, practice? How can we ingrain it? I think for me, like, how do you think about that at scale, right? And so there's a software component, there's a hardware component, and then there's also just the general human-to-human communication component. So, yeah, it's really interesting, man. Yeah, it's it's funny now that I think about that because when the pandemic had really started, I was working for a company that was very much remote first, right? And yeah. they had an office, and I had been to the office. I don't remember the last time I was in their office, maybe 2019, I think. But that was three or four jobs ago. Like since then, now I've yeah. worked at a number of different companies in remote positions with people who I've never met, who I've yeah. had to work with, oftentimes across very wide time zone berths to try to get creative work done. And yeah, it is, it's a change. It's a big change yeah. in just trying yeah. to adjust to it, making sure you're getting the best work out of people. Of course, with that, with, I think one with being sensitive to just the general overall global issue that we're going through with the pandemic, but also it's going to be a different kind of thing when you, you meet them in person, like at the other places I've met, I've not met a single one of my coworkers in person in over a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's truly fascinating that social component, you know, I think on the show, I don't know if I'd gone to this point yet, but a lot of the engineering team that I was working with was based in Poland. And so I think we hadn't developed ways to communicate, like technology wasn't there, right? So the ways to communicate were extremely difficult. So then you really kind of had to see and visit somebody to understand their body language, right? But I think now we're so good at communicating with each other I think seeing each other like in the flesh, it's sort of like, oh, <laughs> how do we compute this now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of running into that a bit now because at the place where I currently work, we're split between San Francisco and Paris. And mm-hmm. so like I'm working with Europeans in the morning, working with yeah. the U.S. folks in the afternoon, like trying to and it is all, you know, very much async. I mean, I'm right in the middle. So when I start my day at 9 a.m., it's the afternoon already in Paris, and it's still early, early morning in San Francisco. So I have to try to juggle how I work now based on that, because we're not all on that same sort of eight-hour block. Yeah. When you think about 2022, are there any like certain, you know, kind of resolutions or goals that you have that you want to try to accomplish? Oh, resolutions or goals. I would probably say I need to do a better job at taking a vacation. <laughs> I've been I've been saying that for a long time, but you know, I think this past couple of years, I think from a mental health perspective, haven't been easy, and I don't think it's been easy for for most folks. And so again, I think be able to create that time and space 
where you can reflect. You don't need to. You can also be in the moment, right? You don't have to necessarily reflect. But I think we need to just create the space. That's kind of like how I recharge. You know, I'm doing a lot of really awesome stuff with my podcast, technically speaking. So I'm looking forward to really kind of expanding that. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. But, you know, I, I would also say like move a little bit more, like really be conscious about getting movement in. I mean, I'm in meetings all day. And so going for that walk around the block, heading on the bike, lifting some weights in some way, shape or form, committing to that every day. Yeah, I want a vacation. Well, I think I need one, certainly, because the last time I was really out like on a plane somewhere was February of 2020. I just haven't went anywhere because of the pandemic. But now it's I'm feeling it now. Like I need yeah. I need to disconnect on a beach in another yes. country somewhere. <laughs> like nobody's yo, you're, business. You're, yo, you're in the hub, man. I think you can fly anywhere in the world from Atlanta. Yeah, that's true. I've just been wary of it because I mean you've been seeing all the stuff with people fighting on planes and stuff. I'm I like, know. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get caught up somewhere, having to try to go somewhere, but we can't because Back in 25B, they, you know, having, they duking it out. Like, come on, you're, you're holding up everybody. We trying to, Yo, we're all trying to get somewhere. I mean, this is a sad state of affairs, but it's sad when airlines have to take away the alcohol because folks can't handle themselves in the air. Wait, have they taken away the alcohol on planes for real? Oh, yeah. I think now they're like probably around mid-December, early January. I think some airlines are looking at bringing it back, but... Yeah, yeah, folks were getting lit. Oh my god! Wow, I yeah. didn't know it was that bad. Jeez. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, hopefully we can get it together. But I don't know. Humanity has been a—it's <laughs> been a very interesting experiment in humanity over this past year or so. Just seeing how folks have acted, especially with these vaccines. We're not going to make this political, getting into it, but you know, it's been a lot. So yeah, when you were last on the show, which you know, as we talked about, was way back. On episode 140, you were at Base, which is now part of Zendesk. And since then, you've went on to LinkedIn, where now you're a senior design manager. What has your time at LinkedIn been like? Wow. Yeah, this is great. I, I love reflecting on this. So, I mean, look, I want to maybe kind of touch on, maybe we can kind of give a, a brief overview of kind of what Base was. And because I think a lot of times I get a lot of questions in terms of like, what attracted you to LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. And then I also get questions around like, Yo, it's been like five years and like, and like tech speak five years, man, you're an OG at that point, you know, because yeah. average length of folks is usually around two years in, at, a, at a job. Right. Uh, and that number's probably going down over time. I mean, we see that there's so many opportunities out in the market these days. But when I started at base, I was a manager for basically a 300 person startup. And so my design team at the time was around five directs on the product side, one on marketing, and then I reported up directly into the CEO and then eventually the, the chief of product. And so I think for me, that was an amazing experience. I got to really build something from zero to one. You know, I got to experience what growth looked like, had some really amazing experiences being able to go to Europe and create lasting connections with folks back on that project. I think for me, when I was looking, and I wasn't even looking, to be honest, Maurice, like, I think I'd probably taken a moment to sit down and kind of understand what is the general sort of experience that I want to have. And I think for me, I was pretty simple. Like, I want to be able to have impact in the organization, on the product, and eventually grow a team. 
But most importantly, I wanted to have the support to grow as a manager, right? I didn't really, I didn't really have the tools, in my opinion, to lead with confidence. And I will say that what attracted me was the fact that there was a good amount of folks that were experienced and seasoned from a managerial perspective. The company had a lot of amazing programs to help foster that connection. And on top of that, there were folks that I've been able to meet that have also played a big role in my development. And of course, I've had some awesome coworkers. I think in terms of like the opportunity, so right now, the team I'm on is called LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And so if you aren't familiar with our enterprise products, there's obviously the flagship product that most folks on LinkedIn are on. It's where you post. That's where you see jobs. You've got the feed. And then we have really kind of four different product areas. Sales Navigator, so that's usually for sales folks. We have LinkedIn Talent Solutions for recruiters. And sometimes you might get those inboxes from recruiters trying to hit you up for a new gig. We've got LinkedIn Learning, and then we got LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And so LinkedIn Marketing Solutions is really our ad platform. And, you know, one of the fastest growing lines of, actually, I think it is the fastest growing line of business at LinkedIn. And so for me, I have had an experience very similar to a startup because we've seen a lot of growth in terms of folks using our product, a lot of growth in terms of the team growing, and also the acceleration of our experiences from a maturity perspective, right? Like I think going in, LinkedIn was around 15 years old. So I think most people would be like, oh man, that company is kind of old, right? 15 years. But over the past four years that I've been there, we've invested a lot. And honestly, it's evolved like night and day. And it's been really good to, it's been really fun to be a part of that ride because I know that I've had some part in doing that, right? Being able to have that impact for me and seeing that growth was really kind of core to, to my decision-making there. And look, I mean, when you're in the tech game, I think it's important to understand really kind of on top of the work, like understand what are the things that are going to help bring value to your life, right? Like we all know that in over the past two years, if you're working in tech, going into the office, not having benefits, not being able to focus on your physical and mental health as a part of that package, you know, there's somebody out there offering better, right? Like yeah. that's, that's the beauty of the situation right now. And, and for me, I can say, I can confidently say there's not really too many companies that would offer support in that way any better than LinkedIn. And so honestly, that, that's really kind of kept me around. And I mean, you came on at the time, I think it might have been right around the time that uh, LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft. Yeah. So I came in actually a little bit after that. Okay. Um, but I believe the acquisition had happened earlier that year. So even with that, I mean, you've got that big tech juggernaut behind, you know, LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm sure that in terms of just like, I think one job security, but two also just the, like you said, if you're in the, if you're in the Bay, probably just if you're in tech in general, you're always kind of looking to try to level up. I mean, that's yeah. a great place to do so, you know, 100%. Can you talk a bit about sort of what you do as a senior design manager? Yeah. You know, I get a lot of questions around what does IC growth look like? What does, you know, what does a manager growth look like? And so, as I mentioned before, on my team, I have eight designers, or excuse me, seven designers, one manager. And then soon I've got two roles opening up, two roles opening up. So for folks listening and you're interested, definitely check out the job listings. 
But it's really interesting because I think a lot of times when you think about managers, the people side of things, right? But honestly, for me, I think about how can we create an organization that is really kind of based on outcomes around like how we approach design. And so a lot of that is making sure that my team has the time and space to thoroughly think through their problem space. I'll give you an example of a few initiatives that I generally kind of work on, right? So number one, we're we're working really hard in terms of like trying to really double down and and on and protect our design rituals, right? And that's like from our weekly standups to our feedback, how can we give better feedback? How we how can we provide even safer spaces for feedback? How can we make sure the process is inclusive? for everyone on the team to have a voice and be able to kind of scale that in in different sort of in different sort of areas how are we thinking about what growth paths on the team look like how can we be consistent in terms of creating expectations how can we create different sort of opportunities and modules for designers to have a better understanding about the situations that they're in so as they have the autonomy to really start to lead projects They're equipped with the proper tools to have the right conversations, to be able to say no, and also understand when to prioritize, right? And so those are just kind of a few of them. Like, obviously, you know, there's the planning side of things, there's the performance review side of things, but ultimately, how can we also think about having more of a thoughtfulness in terms of thinking horizontally, right? So Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, We've got the flagship experience. We've got these four other enterprise experiences. How can we bring some of that goodness or how can we bring in some of the initiatives that they're working on into some of the things that we're trying to achieve, right? And so a lot of that is honestly, I think, fairly similar regardless of the size, the the organization that you're at. I will say LinkedIn being that it is about an 18-year-old company now, there's there's in, in around... 13,000 employees globally, there's a little bit more conversations that you'll have to have. But, you know, that I don't think that's any different from, from most organizations of size. And so with the team makeup kind of like it is, I mean, do you get a chance to really kind of work one-on-one with designers or are you mostly working kind of more with like upper upper management and leadership? You know, it's honestly, it, it really is a mix. You know, at least for my designers that our my reports, we do have our one-on-ones. So we do have an opportunity to kind of go through individual designs. We do have opportunities to really kind of think about what growth looks like. You know, as I mentioned before, we have rituals that I always attend. So if I can, at least. Mm-hmm. And so that is our design reviews, our standups. Those are things that I really try to do. I try my best to make sure that our team is equipped, like I said, to be autonomous, to be able to work with their teams because I am not able to be in every single situation. Also, my manager isn't available to be in every single situation all the time as well, right? So there's a bit of that. There's a lot of back and forth, at least from a a leadership perspective as well, right? And so, you know, we have a growing design organization. We need to also understand, at least as a manager too, that whether it's coming from product or inch, that we're not only managing down to the team, but also managing up and giving our executive team visibility. We might be working on vision work. And so I might be a little bit more involved there, kind of working with other VPs or, or directors involved in that as well. Now, speaking of, you know, design management, 
when we had you on the show back, you know, in 2016, you were a design manager at base. Yeah. I would just say you've grown as a design manager since then. I mean, is it different in this larger organization or, or what's what's changed? Yeah. I mean, 1000%. I'm a totally different manager than I was back then. <laughs> right. There are times where I'm like, if I could, if I could take situations back in the day and like pair it with what I know now, mm -hmm. I guarantee you the outcomes would be totally different. And so I think a lot of times, and when I started out, is like, you know, you'd read all the books or you have this idea of like what a manager is supposed to do. Right. And you try to be like, or at least for me, I can't speak for other folks, but I think there was a kind of a, I had this like misnomer that I had to be right. Right. That I had to know what I was doing, that it was important that people knew that I knew what I was doing uh -huh. when that was, was not the case. And I think really coming to terms with, with like, Hey, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I think for me became like pretty transformational and then I had a moment too where I had I had an opportunity to to have a a coach, a professional coach. Shout out to Brooks. He was actually on my one of my episodes on technically speaking, but the sessions that I had with him really kind of changed honestly my mindset into being a manager, right? And a lot of it really came down to understanding when to have conversations and how to have those conversations. A lot of what we do as designers, really comes down to communication. And, and sometimes it might not be, might not be comfortable, might be uncomfortable. But usually when you're, when you do have, when you do feel that, you're usually at a crossroads, right? There's a decision that needs to be made. And on the other side of it, it's going to be beneficial no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, it sounds like you at least had that. And I'm not saying you didn't have this at base, but it certainly sounds like you've had support to grow as a manager while you've been at LinkedIn, you haven't just been like winging it. I say that to say that like, I've been in design management situations where it was very clear I was winging it. Like <laughs> the company was not really trying to offer any support in that area, but these were startups. It's not a, you know, an established yeah. company like LinkedIn, but it sounds like they are invested in your growth as a design manager. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, you know, I think, I think one thing you, you asked sort of like what, you know, you asked what I do sort of like on the day to day, but there are definitely things that I look at in terms of how can we evolve as an organization. And so those are things that, you know, we're constantly kind of chipping away. And I think having that North Star and being able to have your team align on that, I think does help quite a bit in terms of like making sound and constructive conversations and decisions as well. Mm. Now, have you encountered any other black design managers while you've been not necessarily at LinkedIn, but just like in your career in general? You mean as far as being my manager or or just in general, just in general, in general? You know, honestly, I will probably say not since I've been at LinkedIn until I, how should I phrase this? I will say that there are a few that I've I've known and heard of from afar but I will say I haven't been able to personally meet any until I was at LinkedIn. And so, and we've, we've seen really a lot of growth in, in terms of representation as far as black folks go at the manager level. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been really, really special because I think for me, it just felt really inaccessible in terms of like meeting other black design managers. 
And so now to kind of have that presence where I work, I think is is extremely special to me because I always kind of think about the first manager that I've had technically was my mom, right? Because my mom had hired me to do web design at the elementary school that she worked with. <laughs> and so I always tell people, you know, my mom was the first black manager that I I directly had. And I think what was really interesting, the lesson in that for me was I was able to kind of think, reflect on this. I was like, my mom literally advocated for me in terms of making a budget. And then on top of that, she gave me the space to grow. Like, it's funny when you think about the lessons in some of these areas in your life that you don't really think of until you're a lot older. And so, I don't know, I think for me, that was like, that for me was really kind of groundbreaking, right? Because I think in the discussion that we had, right, in terms of that that growth piece, you know, you mentioned something around black designers need to have the opportunity to, to fail. And I think it's so important to have representation as a black designer, as a black design manager, because now you can actually discuss these things. You can, you can fail, you can have mentorship within your organization. And we all know this, that the representation numbers are extremely low. I think it's really special when you can have a community like that to support along the way. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like even as I've done this show over the years and I've talked to people from other organizations and such, it's still like pretty fragmented when you think yeah. about like other black design managers or even just like a someone had asked me like, oh, is there a, a like professional group for black designers that I can join? And I was like, well, <laughs> not really. I mean, you yeah. could join the organization and I'm. I have to preface this because I don't want anyone from OBD coming after me, but like, look, I'm not saying the organization of black designers is not doing great things. What yeah. I am saying is that for current black designers that are in the industry, they do not know that you exist. Mm. So I can mention like, for example, I could say AIGA or like if you're regional, I can say, well, there's Bay area black designers or there's, yeah. I think, Black Design Seattle, I think is what it's called, or something like that. Like, yeah. there's some regional groups, but like, like a national organization kind of thing. Like, it's still pretty fragmented. I mean, there's shows like mine and shows like yours, which of course we'll get into that, you know, I think do a good job of highlighting like who we are and what we're doing out here. But it's still, you know, for I think the average designer, it still is, is pretty hard to find that, that sort of community. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I think. Yeah. And I will say it's probably even more complex given how fragmented it is. It's actually even harder to find, right? As you mentioned, because consistency is key. And so even over the past couple of years, I've seen things pop up, but then really kind of quiet down. And so it's not only finding the group, but it's making sure that it's active, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've certainly ran into a few that have been in that same fashion. They start up one way and then it just sort of dies out or yep. it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes a lot yeah. to kind of keep those those sorts of things going to that end, just in terms of like initiatives and things, are, are there any particular initiatives that you're involved in at LinkedIn? You know, it's real funny. Cause I, I go back to, I was kind of thinking or reflecting on like the first episode that we had, you know, I think for me being a black designer in tech, it felt like a sense of accomplishment, right? I mean, it definitely was like coming from the Midwest, really kind of trudging along and just kind of taking risks, mm -hmm. not knowing what's on the other side and not necessarily having those perspectives. 
I think it was definitely something to celebrate and and to be able to to kind of do this, right? But I think that that quickly kind of I think that quickly kind of like went away because at the end of the day, you know, you're still one of who knows, hundreds, thousands in an organization. And right. so, you know, in the moments around Trayvon Martin and it was tough. Like it was very isolating. And I think not having a community to be able to go to, or at least just talk it out, I thought was, I don't know, it was very isolating. And so I think kind of moving into LinkedIn, you know, I thought there was a, I didn't want to go through that again. I'll put it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so actually, I don't I, I don't know if you, you know who Renee Reed is. Shout out to Renee Reed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tech Rap Queen, of course. Yeah, Tech Rap Queen. Check it out. So we actually joined LinkedIn around actually the same year. So myself, her, and George Hayes, shout out to George. We actually got together and we were like, you know, we should put something on. We should try and create some representation within the organization. We should also have some external representation to let folks know that we're here. And so we started with a lot of like small things. Like I remember Renee was really passionate about having a week during black history where the cafeteria served food from all over the African diaspora. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and by the way, LinkedIn, I mean, we don't have cafeteers right now because it's kind of, well, we do. But it's not operating in the same capacity. Yeah. Lincoln has some bomb food. Like I think, <laughs> I think if you're ever in the Bay Area, most people, if you ask if somebody if you ask somebody which tech company has the best food, LinkedIn is definitely up there nine times out of ten. Okay. And so what they cook tastes pretty good. And even like we got together and designed the LinkedIn in bug. That's the LinkedIn logo. You know, I designed that with the the kente pattern. And we got those printed. And so whenever LinkedIn showed up, like we showed out for sure. Like Afrotech, we came in deep with the Kente cloth pattern. And people are like, this is what LinkedIn is about, right? And one of the most amazing things about it is that it resonated with Black folks all over the country. But LinkedIn has global offices around the world. So we had folks down in Brazil repping the LinkedIn uh, Kente inbug. So I think it was really great to kind of see that movement. And then we sort of had a, a little bit of a coming out party about three years ago during the the week of Afrotech, the second week of Afrotech, where we had designers come to LinkedIn and we just chopped it up. We had a panel, you know, with research and design, and we basically called that Black by Design. Uh, that was really kind of a, a big moment for us. And it was great because we got to show people what design was like inside LinkedIn People had an opportunity to see what we look like and what we were talking about. And, you know, there was a there was a relational piece to it. And then we also eventually made hires from some of the folks that attended. And so here we are. We're strong, like I think 15 plus folks. It might be even more. But we started out being only three of us. And so it's been really great to kind of see that evolve over time. And over the past year, we've we've been doing a lot to really organize and and really keep it growing, right? Because obviously we want this to, to keep going, whether we're at LinkedIn or when we move on, right? They call that the next play. And so we have really kind of three pillars that we focus on, right? So we got a set of folks working on growth and retention. And so that's really around how can we keep folks in? How can we provide opportunities for people to grow outside of like their traditional day-to-day job? We have another pillar called brand building and community, 
So that's when we go out and we have these happy hours. That's when we show up to, to events like Afrotech. This is when we have an opportunity to, to really be able to not only push some of the amazing initiatives that LinkedIn is doing, but also elevate the folks within the group to the community. And then we have a third pillar called product experience. And so actually a couple of weeks ago, we had a presentation around company pages that we invited black creative businesses to join. And so how can we sort of elevate our products to benefit the black community and also learn about how people are using them and, and bring that feedback directly into the product. So it's been really fun to see that evolve, really be able to create a space for our members to be able to kick back, talk about anything and everything and go live in the Slack channel. So it's been really great to kind of see that evolution over time. I mean, it certainly sounds, and I would say this is a testament probably to the the longevity and the structure of LinkedIn that you are able to have such a robust kind of employee resource group like that, that will allow you to do yeah. things that directly touch the brand, like a different version of the logo. I mean, that's, that's a lot just in and of itself, yeah. because that's something that goes out globally, like you said, across LinkedIn and, and a number of different countries. Yeah, look, I will say, I mean, it's been a journey, but definitely shout out to the exec team that supports us. You know, we have two executive sponsors. I've had an opportunity to talk with other folks within the company that have been super supportive and and be willing to kind of work with us and iterate as we go. And I think with that kind of mentality, that's extremely empowering and allowing really kind of that expression to, to be able to happen. And so it's it's really been, honestly, for me, like I'm humbled, I'm honored to really be able to be a part of creating that platform where, you know, I was kind of think of this like to some folks, this is their first experience in tech. I mean, mm -hmm. that's mind blowing. Now, switching gears here, of course, we mentioned before about your podcast, technically speaking, which is one big thing that's changed since you were last on the show is you do podcasting now, too. So why don't you tell the folks here about your show and what it's about? Yeah, well, look, man, I, I mean, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, I think, and we, we both touched on this. I think the representation in the industry for black folks is fairly small, still small, very small. I shouldn't even say fairly small. And I think what's important is like, I think a lot of times when we tend to see each other, we always ask like, what's your story, mm -hmm. right? How did you get to where you were? I think at least in the product design space, I thought that was extremely important to really be able to provide a platform for I think kind of the events from, you know, I, I've been considering this for a while, but I, I honestly think a lot of the events from last year really kind of was a bit of a catalyst to kind of move that forward. And so, you know, to be honest with you, I was not like, I didn't think I could do a podcast, right? I think I'd asked people so many questions on how to do it. And I for sure was, was procrastinating much of the time, but yeah, I, I went ahead and did it. And Honestly, it's been a game changer for me to be able to meet so many people and have many different perspectives. As much of a tool as it is for folks that are listening for them to learn, it's been a tool for me to also learn about their stories. I think the production element of the podcast is, is also another area that I'm always striving to improve and learn on and iterate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, let's see. I mean, we're about a year and a half in. 
almost 10,000 downloads throughout the lifetime within a year and a half, which I think is a, is a huge milestone. And I think we've recorded around like 38 episodes. So yeah, man, it's been fun. And, and, and look, you've been an inspiration along that journey as well. I was really, you know, I think we'd mentioned this on the, on the episodes, but it really meant a lot to have you on the show, especially during San Francisco design week. Because I, I can remember like when we were chopping up before the show, I was like, man, we got to get you out here and do something. So we still need to do something live at some point, but that'll be post-pandemic. Yeah. What has podcasting really taught you? I mean, you mentioned the you know thing about people being able to tell their own stories, but have you gained any kind of personal insight from doing this? Yeah. I think some of the personal insight, right? I Again, it's like this weird perfectionism thing. And I'll just kind of, some of it I'll also kind of go into kind of like where I was kind of coming in the base. Like when I was going into my last job, it was definitely kind of a career pivot for me, moving from a more graphic design oriented, web design oriented career into product design. And so, you know, I didn't really have like the vernacular to be able to express design concepts, research concepts, et cetera. And I think for me, I had this idea of like what an archetype of a designer was. And and honestly, that that could really kind of go to hell at this point in time because there isn't an ideal archetype for a designer. And I think a lot of the folks that are on the show are at a point where they're having the same kind of same kind of realizations. But I think you're seeing this evolution where people are really starting to prioritize their own ideals and beliefs, which I think has really been, I think to be able to have folks that have been in the industry for a while, but then on top of that, to see that as sort of the starting point for the younger generation, I think is an amazing learning. And I'm super hopeful that that can transform a lot of how we think about the folks in the industry, right? Who we're solving for and understanding that some of the things that we've perpetuated for years and years are extremely toxic and we need to move past that. But we also need to evolve in a way like we need to have these discussions, whether it be to tear it all down, whether it be to reform some of these things, but we need to be having these discussions followed up by action. Right. And I think a lot of these storylines can really help people understand what that angle is in terms of, of kind of moving in that direction. Well said. Well said. I mean, podcasting for me, I think, has been something really which has given me a deep level of not just introspection into people's processes, but also like how they come to the decisions that they do in terms of their career and the work that they do and everything like that. Have you found that there's been a bit of a common thread among your guests? No, I think there's some folks that have definitely done sort of the linear approach I think there's some folks that have kind of figured it out along the way and had Mm -hmm. a very meandering path. And so I think that's what's important. Like, there's not like one way to do things. Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It did. Now, you know, you talked about LinkedIn and and even sort of venturing out into these different spaces, like you've mentioned with Black and Design. And one thing that LinkedIn did recently was that they participated in Afrotech world, which was sort of like a, I guess you could, a metaverse, essentially, but it's like a conference in the metaverse. Now, I know you told me that you didn't get a chance to uh, 
to attend that, but like, what did you hear back from how that experience was? Yeah, this was the second year that Afrotech had done sort of the, the metaverse thing, right? So for folks that aren't familiar, Afrotech World is a conference. I believe they said they had, I think they had like 10,000 folks buy tickets. I think 7,000 showed up, but it's a global conference where folks talk about a lot of different topics around technology, design, engineering, product management, venture capital, all that. And so the experience was in a virtual world. And so you could basically dress up your avatar. You can network with folks. You could have one-on-one meetings on a beach in a jet ski, on a boat, right? Uh, It's whatever you want to make it. And so I think a lot of folks were excited at the concept, you know, because you could kind of have folks have an experience together without physically being in the same place, right? I think definitely it is it is novel. It's great to see it at a very large scale. I don't know. I, I like I'm super curious to see how it's going to evolve over time, right? Because I think I think you mentioned there's some other con- was there some other conferences doing something in the metaverse as well? Yeah, I went to one last week, and for people that are recording, we're recording this like early December, but I went to one at the beginning of December from this company called Tech Circus that was called Enter the Metaverse. And they had an online component, but you could also, I think, attend inside the metaverse that they sort of like set up for the conference. And so there were all these panels about just all the different things dealing with the metaverse, economy, virtual well-being, real estate, you know, the founder for Second Life was there. He gave a really great presentation. There was this guy, I think he works for, I think he works for Microsoft in Berlin. And he gave this really Mm. just sort of like overarching talk about these are the things we need to think about when we talk about the metaverse. And it's given me so much to think about with like, there's all this talk about how the metaverse is going to be the future of the internet and the future of the workplace. But then hearing people talk about in this conference, seeing the reality that the current metaverse is, first of all, there's no one metaverse. There's like multiple metaverses and metaverses is, I don't know. Yeah. It's like (laughs) metaverses is the multi metaverse, I guess, but like there's dozens to hundreds of them. And that we've actually already experienced some versions of metaverses, even though they haven't been called that. And the one that they sort of pointed to most uh, that sort of got me was Foursquare. Mm. So like like Foursquare circa 2010, because what it was is that you had this kind of information layer of data layered on top of like real world maps and things like that you could get these badges that were not really nfts but sort of were because they could really only belong to one person or certain people and it's interesting like when when you Mm -hmm. think about the concept of foursquare badges they're kind of like these prototypes of what nfts are in a way because like for this metaverse conference i went to they're like oh everyone gets a free nft and i was like what do i do with that (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like they sent me an email, like, here's how you claim your NFT. Okay. And, and do what with it? But the yeah. NFT was issued. Um, they issued it through something called a POAP, P-O-A-P, proof of attendance protocol. And so it essentially was a badge that said you attended this conference at this time. And I'm mm. like, Oh, I can't do anything with this. No, but it's, I guess, good to have. They were like, oh, well, you can connect it to your blockchain wallet. And then they just lost me after that. I was like, well, 
don't yeah. know what to do with it after that. But yeah. I, look, I will say this. I've been dabbling into it. So I think like, I think what's really interesting about this is like, for one, the Foursquare thing really kind of blows my mind, but it, it totally makes sense in a way, right? And I, I think if you're going to learn about the metaverse, you should understand sort of how the blockchain kind of plays a role in it, where where sort of the NFT sort of plays a role in terms of maybe something that you get to keep that identifies that you were there or not. I think it's all extremely fascinating. And it seems like even, I haven't heard of it, like the proof of attendance, but even that is like super fascinating, right? Because now you can kind of think of, I always kind of think about it like this. It's like, we were growing up, if we went to a basketball game or we went to a concert, we had a paper ticket, we might frame it. Yeah. Right? And now yeah. everything is is like a digital thing on your iPhone that or your Android device, and you can't really do anything with that. And so I think nowadays it's like, huh, if I go to a concert, I have a token or I have an NFT from it. And maybe if that's tied to like, you know, Ethereum or whatever kind of digital coin, then that can be valued over time, right? Like, I think it's really interesting that you've got sort of like this economy, right? Like it really adds like another layer to like, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm famous on the internet. Because mm -hmm. yeah, you know, like we were we were chopping this up before. You got people that can make three hundred thousand dollars in a week in a yeah. month, millions in a month, just selling NFTs online. Never do a gallery show, right? Not in a museum. I think it's super fascinating. It's uh, the other part that's sort of super fascinating too is you know, for many people, kind of the the entry point into the metaverse are NFTs, like we've mentioned, but. Yeah. What I saw from this conference with there being these multiple metaverses is that there's a huge problem with interoperability. So mm. there's all these metaverses, but if you buy a NFT, for example, and it's locked to a particular metaverse, yeah. you can't necessarily, or like it's minted with a certain metaverse. I guess that's the terminology, but like you yeah. can't use it with another metaverse. And they were like, oh yeah, it's like if you go to Foot Locker and buy shoes, but like you can only wear them in the store. <laughs> yeah. and and so they're they're thinking of like well what are ways that we can tie some sort of intrinsic real world value to an mm -hmm. nft to make it more of a i guess more of a lucrative sort of thing but i mean this conference touched on like land ownership in the metaverse it touched on things about like digital well-being cultural appropriation because one thing with being in the in the metaverse is that you're represented by an avatar. Right. But, you know, these avatars, well, of course, will I think just like regular avatars that we see in terms of profile pictures and things are not wholly representative of the diversity of body size and gender yeah. expression and race and ethnicity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what I saw from looking at all this was like, oh, this is a huge opportunity for like PLC designers or particularly black designers to really try to get in on the ground floor of this yeah. and, and find a way to like carve a niche in because I could easily see how we could get left behind in some sort of like digital divide sort of way. I mean, the fact that Facebook has renamed itself to meta to subconsciously. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I thought was great is that everyone on the, on the, the entire conference was just shitting on Facebook. Like, yeah. They were just like, 
what what Meta is doing is insidious, like because people are gonna think metaverse and think that Facebook is the yeah brand association. Yeah. They're gonna think that they are the company that is the underpinning of the entire metaverse when that is not the case. And the the other thing about how even experiencing the metaverse is not something that you necessarily have to do through a three hundred dollar. VR headset or something like that, you know. Mm. So it was such an interesting conference. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to some of the the different talks from it because it really got me to thinking about well, what is our place going to be in this like new internet or, or whatever that they're sort of trying to call it? Because mm. another portion of this was how do we make sure we don't carry over the issues from the current internet into the metaverse in terms of trolling and all of that sort of stuff and like people don't have any of this stuff figured out like by a long shot and the actual infrastructure for it can't even support everyone like the internet can largely support people (laughs) like maybe hundreds of users per server some workplace metaverse situations can maybe only support about two dozen people like it's not a revolutionary thing by far but the people are throwing enough money at it that it almost feels like it's a possibility. Like it sort of reminded me a bit of the million dollar homepage during this one particular talk. And for people that are listening that don't know back in the day, there was actually, I think the million dollar homepage is still up. You went to this site and people basically bought pixels to be represented on a page. I think it was like a dollar per pixel. And so the goal, I guess, of it was to have a web page that was worth a million dollars. But there were people in one of the talks that were buying up plots of land in a metaverse for like thousands of dollars. This one person bought a 300 square meter plot of land for $10,000 in one of the talks. And I was just like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. You just had $10,000 sitting around one afternoon in the metaverse. Like, you know what? I'm just going to buy this plot of land. What are you going to put on it? Yeah. Who can visit it? Like, it's abstract in that way where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. But there are so many smaller companies that are trying to get in on this before the quote unquote brands get in on it, i.e. a Facebook slash meta. Well, I think Nike or Adidas, actually, they're launching like their own concept of a metaverse. So it's already starting to happen. Yeah, it's already starting to happen. And it's definitely at a point where, like I said, I can feel like we could be left behind in that. So I don't know. Yeah. One thing that I'm going to try to do this year on the show is bring on some designers that are doing NFTs to just to try to yeah. get the audience that listens to the show up on like, what is it and how can we get involved? Because I see it like I was in this conference and I was just like, I can see the future and we could very easily be left behind because the fervor mm. around the metaverse Reminded me so much of like early, like late 90s, early 2000s internet before internet advertising really became a big thing. And companies tried to figure out, well, how can I conduct business on the internet? Now it's like, how can I conduct business on the metaverse? Like the same conversations, you just swap out internet for metaverse. How are we (laughs) going to work on the internet? Email, what is that? Now it's like, how are we going to work on the metaverse? Like it's the same conversation different times and i'm just like just it it reminds me of the uh like that i don't know if anyone's seen it 
But there's this old clip of like Brian Gumble talking from the Today Show. Yeah, I know. I know exactly the one you're talking about. It's like Brian Gumble and Katie Couric like pontificating about email or something. Yeah, that's gonna be this episode. What <laughs> 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 is Web 3.0 and NFTs and blockchain and and all of that? Right, like yeah. Um, I hope there are entry points where the barriers aren't as expensive as it is right now. Right, because I think for me, like I've been, you know, I've been dabbling, you know, I've been trying to explore how do you, you know, get an NFT project off the ground. You know, I've bought a few NFTs myself and for anybody that has bought an NFT, having to do the wallet thing and then the gas fees, it's not cheap. Right. And so to even like get in the game to play, you know, I think it still requires a decent amount of capital to to really kind of participate. So I hope there's a bit more development, like you said, and ways for folks to to kind of get involved before sort of the massive wave that folks are talking about actually happens. Yeah, I think it will happen because honestly, again, like thinking back to early 2000s, one of the things about, well, how are people really going to get onto the internet? Oh, well, you can use a personal computer. So people were thinking about things like that. But then there were also any different number of like web enabled, like smartphone devices. You had right. Blackberries, you had trios, you had Palm. I'm really dating myself now, but you had all these sorts of like <laughs> personal things that were like, Oh, we can get on the internet and on this little device that's in the palm of my hand, you know, things yeah. like that. So the oh, World man. Wide Web. I think we we're still calling it the World Wide Web back yeah, then. Yeah, we very much were still calling it the World Wide Web. So it's it's happening. It's happening. It's the, but it's the Meta Wide Verse. <laughs> and uh, speaking of of Web three, I think that's another thing because yeah. back then this conversation was happening around the time prior to Web two point because Web 1.0 mm-hmm. hadn't really been named as such, but like Web 2.0 really came about with the advent of social media and like user-generated yeah. content. And like now with Web 3, it's decentralized, it's the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to a Web 3 conference in January. I think it may have passed by the time this uh, this episode airs, but people can definitely look it up. I'm pretty sure there'll be more Web 3 conferences in the future because I'm like, I want to know where we are going to get in on this. Yeah. So much of what we've done now has been steeped in Web 2.0. Like, where do we get in on this next thing? Yeah. You know, it's real interesting that you talk about that, right? Because I think of, like, you mentioned Second Life. And Second Life was around before Web 2.0. Uh-huh. And so now, yeah, now we're... And this this is the same story, right? Like, we're now at a point where the ideas and technology are now at a crossroads, right? They're finally intersecting. And so I always kind of think of like, yeah, we were talking about like the palms and the trios, but then once we got processors and graphic interface that were fast enough, mm-hmm. then that's when we got the iPhone, right? And yep. so this is another one of those moments where, yeah, the price of headsets are significantly cheaper than they were before, right? Now we've got sort of, we've got this blockchain technology. We now have these different currencies that you can use in these different worlds. And so it feels like everything is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With so. metaverse and like cryptocurrency and all of this starting to mesh together, I can see where it confuses a lot of people. 
but also like this is happening. It's not a, oh, well, maybe. No, it's happening. It's happening right under our noses. And I hate this. I mean, this sounds almost, you know, kind of like apocalyptic in a way, but like it's happening. It's happening. And it's either like you need to figure out where you fit in in this or you get left behind. Or you're going to be the 50 year old on TikTok. <laughs> Look, yeah. Or you're, or you're going to be like, like my mom who is like completely tech averse. And it's like, yes. I give her a cell phone and she turns it off until I have to tell her when I'm calling, like that sort of thing, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I don't want to get tracked, but I don't want them tracking me. I'm like, okay, but uh. it's getting to that. I see it getting there. And yeah, I could even see smartphones starting to do more with VR and AR and mixed reality, which we're even starting to see with Google. Like Google has yeah. their, their maps that sort of layer their own yeah. wayfinding on top of what you view out in the camera. And like, it's, it's happening. It's, it's happening. happening. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's definitely happening. You know, I think in, in the tech sense, like it, it feels, it feels like that moment when the iPhone came out, if folks can remember, like people see what the possibilities are. People are doing a lot of experimentation. Mm hmm. People are okay if it works and if it doesn't. And and I think yeah. I think that's the way to do it. Like it doesn't necessarily have to work. I think it's good to see folks really kind of doubling down to really kind of push the boundaries. And so I will say for anybody listening that is well versed in all of this, <laughs> uh, definitely tweet myself and Maurice and let us know if we are getting a solid good grasp on it. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. I don't want to be sounding sounding crazy out here, but also want to make sure we're informed because we both have our respective audiences too. Like want to make sure that people are being informed about what this next thing is because it's it's coming and we either yeah. need to find a way to become a part of it or, you know, once again, like just get left behind with it. Yep. To that end, <laughs> we've discussed all of this. What do you see as the future of design and business? Oh, oh, that is a million dollar. That is a million dollar web page right there. <laughs> um, I have many thoughts on this. You know, we, we've been working from home for the past couple of years. So I've had an opportunity to really kind of do a bit of, you know, introspection and really kind of thinking about the conversations that we're having if we kind of reflect, like, again, like when I first started working in tech, when I first started doing web design, when I first started doing graphic design, I think the amount, like the foundations and the way that we approach sort of the craft, I think those foundational, those foundations really kind of still exists. But I think in terms of what we need to be conscious of to create inclusive environments, whether it be around makeups of team we had talked about sort of like the different working spaces that people are in, thinking about sort of what the consequences of design decisions are. Shout out to Ron. He, he actually just did a talk on consequence design. I think he was also a guest on your show. Maurice. Oh, yeah. Ron Bronson. That, he's cool. Yeah. 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 So I can keep going. Like we talk about equity. We talk about sort of bias and whatnot. The list of things that we have to be conscious of, even on the business sense of things, research, I mean, I, I could keep going. I personally do not think an, a single designer is going to be able to comprehend all of that. But mm. that that is, it is also very important to the work and central to the work that we do. And so moving forward, we have to, the industry itself, and that's not just design, but we've got to say, hey, look, you know, some of these things, 
are not just in the discipline of design. Like we should be having design. We should be thinking and all encompassing about the elements that play a role in design across different business areas. This means your CEO should understand it. This means your product managers, engineers, they should understand it. How can we bring these types of things into the schools that they're working at, into the conferences that they're they're going into? Because it's a lot to put on the shoulders of design. And I think that if folks can really understand what the value is, we're seeing a lot of growth now. I think the growth of the industry could honestly double, right? Most people you talk to, they're always like, man, we need more designers. I've never heard of a situation where it's like, we got too many designers. That's true. Um, That's true. And, and so I think it's really important for our industry to start really kind of transforming the discussion there and thinking about design as an afterthought. If we're talking, if we're still talking about design getting a seat out of the table, I mean, that's some web 2.0 stuff, right? Like, yeah, we got to have organizations that are design centric. And so that's kind of like where I see it going. I mean, I think whether it's on the metaverse, whether it's on web three, virtual reality, augmented reality, the way that we operationalize still to the certain point needs to be the responsibility of everybody. And so I think that is kind of where I see design going. I know that's not like a super trendy kind of answer, but I think organizations really do have to do a better job of just like thinking design is a service. I think there are some companies that are doing really great things, but I don't want that to necessarily think that the industry as a whole is is evolving, right? So yeah. What would you say has been the best career advice that you've gotten? I don't know. Like this is tough, right? Because I think the some of the best career advice I've had is like super simple. It's just a matter of me executing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I honestly, it really comes down to asking questions, right? Like being curious, asking questions. And I think the question piece is not necessarily in a place where you are like not in a normal onboarding sense, but like questioning why things are the way that they, they are the way that why are they the way that they are? Because I think we've operated so long in a world where we don't question those things and, you know, we have to deal, deal with the consequences and the consequences may directly indirectly affect us or we're around a, a, a bunch of folks that don't care. And that, that in itself is, is already destructive in its nature. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years? What kind of kind of work do you want to be doing? You're, you're bringing out all the hard questions. You know, to be <laughs> honest, I have not thought about that. So we kind of have the former CEO or co-founder of, uh, of LinkedIn coined this term called like tour duty. Mm-hmm. I'm not one for like military terms in like a workplace environment. I think that's like extremely unhealthy and anxiety inducing, especially just given again, just how crazy the past few years have been. People are definitely feeling it. Um, But I think the idea, the idea around is really kind of being on a path of, I don't know, kind of learning a journey. And I think for me, I mean, my, you know, I talked about this before, I think being able to, transform an organization to be able to think about design kind of like how I had mentioned in the question earlier. For me, that that's kind of like the the mission that I'm on right now. And it's great to really kind of see the progress of it. 
in that sense, I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what's on the docket five years from now. I would love to lead the team, but I will say that I also get super excited about technically speaking, moving into technically the third calendar year of the project. I will say that I'm looking forward to just kind of iterating on it. So definitely more guests, more episodes. I'll be introducing some writing, a lot of really cool mini projects on that. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, that's on technicallyspeakinghw.com. I've really started to look back in at some of my older work. Like, you know, I think for so long I had this thought that my work, my writing wasn't good enough. And so I've been bringing back a lot of things that I've written down in notebooks or in notes or in slide decks that I never presented because I didn't think it was there or somebody told me it wasn't all the way there. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this stuff is really good. And so I might have a book that comes out. I love talking about management. I love talking about how we can be more conscious around the things that we're doing. I love having discussions around different tactics you can have because, you know, in my journey, I didn't really have much of that. And so I would really love to kind of have something that the next generation of managers can can kind of have in their toolkit, right? And they don't have to use it, but at least it helps them start to think about ways they can do things that are authentically them that represents their nature and really kind of helps build a, a healthy community around what they're doing. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about the show and about your work and yeah. everything online? Yeah. So you can look at my random tweets on Twitter, twitter.com slash H-M-W-H-E-E-L-E. And then for the show, it's called Technically Speaking. So that's available wherever, Technically Speaking with Harrison Wheeler. So that's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And then on social media, if you follow Technically Speaking HW on Instagram and LinkedIn, you should be able to to find us there and at technicallyspeakinghw.com. So just remember Technically Speaking HW and you should be able to, to figure it out. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn at Harrison Wheeler. So <laughs> uh, feel free to connect. As I mentioned before, I'll be looking at hiring a couple roles. They should be up by the time this episode is live. So feel free to reach out if you're interested. And, and of course, we're always hiring designers, design managers, researchers, project managers, product operations, all that. So so definitely check out the job listings on LinkedIn. I mean, like you said, companies are always looking for designers, right? 100%. <laughs> Harrison Wheeler, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been, you know, I just have to say from a, a personal standpoint, like it's been so great seeing your growth and your progression since we first met back in 2016 up to now and just how yeah. much you've managed to do, I mean, with in your personal career and especially what you're doing at LinkedIn, but also now branching out into podcasting and really kind of putting that message forward and opening up more opportunities for other people to, to tell their stories. I think it's such a natural extension of just the amount of uh, patience and I think thoughtfulness that you bring to your work. So I'm excited to see what you do certainly for the next five years. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, Maurice. Have a good one. Big, big thanks to Harrison Wheeler. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Harrison and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity and Wit. 
Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. What did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. We love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word, or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Let everyone you know know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.